Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. different message prepared tonight, completely different. And last week, Thursday, um, at college day with all of our Weird One College students, I brought in my uncle. He has a doctorate in theology. He knows a lot about the Bible. He's like ultra smart. He kind of makes your whole brain just like turn to mush as he's talking. It's really amazing. And he was speaking a lecture to our college students. In the middle of that lecture, I'm not only sitting there thinking my mind is utterly blown with everything right now, but at the same time, um, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me and tell me that the direction that you got planned for this future night, because that's where we are tonight, we do these throughout the year to keep vision alive in us, to keep us focused on the main thing. And our vision this year is welcome to the future. We believe that God has an amazing future for every single person on planet Earth, especially those that say, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. It just gets a thousand times better, I promise you. Because you could end up being rich. You could end up being in a high position in a corporation. You could end up having what the world would say is blessed, and it's not blessed in God's eyes. But there's a future that God has for you that's blessed. And I was sitting there, and I had a, I thought a decent message prepared for tonight. And the Holy Spirit said, you've been talking to them about their future and what it could look like if they continue to follow God, the beautiful future that is in front of them, which I believe is true. And we're going to talk about that the next future night. But you're not talking to them about the future because the difference between your future and the future is your future, you don't know about it yet. You have to step into it. You have to figure it out. It's step by step, day by day, breath by breath. You're figuring out your future. But the future, it's already written in Scripture. All of it. The Bible literally illustrates from the beginning to the end about the future. I felt like the Holy Spirit was really convicting me. Conviction is not guilt. Guilt drives you from God. Conviction draws you to God. I felt like the Holy Spirit was stirring in me kind of this deep need to change. And I didn't want to because I was really excited about what I was supposed to preach tonight, I thought. And the Holy Spirit started telling me that you are walking right now in future days. The future is here. We're currently walking in it right now. And what I find crazy (laughs) is that the Holy Spirit spoke this to me, and I didn't know that weeks ago the Holy Spirit had spoke to our pastor. When I say something like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, some of you are like, I've never experienced that. It's when you sense something and you choose to be in tune with it. I'm not hearing this audible voice of a spirit. I felt this stirring like this isn't what I'm supposed to do. Pastor actually had a different series prepared as well on our Sunday mornings, and God told him to go a different direction. This message is almost going to be, I don't know, a a 0.5 or a 1.5 in his series. I don't know. It's either the start of his, and then if you go watch on our YouTube channel, Gateway YouTube channel, um, his message, it's either the setup or it's the the 1.5 because he's going to do part two on this Sunday. I don't really know what it is, but neither of us knew that God was talking to us to preach about what many people would call the end times, the days to come the scary future that's in front of us. Do you realize that 27% of the Bible is prophetic or future-oriented? 27% of the Bible. 
Let's just make it simple. One-fourth of the Bible. Do you realize of that 27%, that two-thirds has yet to be fulfilled? So it was prophesied that Jesus would come, be born to a virgin named Mary. He would die on a cross. Even, even like little things. His bones would never be broken, right? But that blood and water would flow. It was all prophesied. But two-thirds of that 27% have yet to happen. So if you do the math, that's 18%. Now, I know for some of you, an 18%, that's failing on your math test. I get that. But 18% left of some scary, intense stuff that's going to happen in the future days of our lives, 18% is a lot. It might be failing on a test, but when you think about 18% that has yet to be fulfilled in the Bible, that we right here in this generation... We are seeing prophecy fulfilled, and we are walking in the future days of the Bible. It's a little scary. I, everything I want to say tonight, I want to let you know this is not a scare tactic. I'm going to literally present scripture and truth. I'm not going to try to magnify it, and I'm not going to try to minimize it. I'm literally just going to tell you scripture and what the Bible says. And even a couple times, you'll hear me say, I believe, or this is what I think, because according to my study, the years I've been on planet Earth serving Jesus for 30 years, rub shoulders with a lot of people, this is what I believe. There's other people that love Jesus a ton, and they believe a little bit different. As long as we stand on the same things, Jesus died, rose again. He's the Son of God. He was born to a virgin named Mary. The Spirit is alive and active in the world. Jesus is coming back for his church. There is something called, and I'll get to and all that. It's those things. If we all think a little different along the way, that's okay. So you're going to even hear me at times say, this is what I believe. And I, I preface that because I don't want to be so locked into saying, this is what's going to happen that that's not what's going to happen. You're like, well, Pastor Dave said, this is what I believe as I read Scripture. You're going to look at a lot of different books in the Bible that are prophetic, but there's three that are kind of the heavy hitters of what we call the end times or these future days. One would be Daniel, the other Revelation, and the other Ezekiel. All of these, pastors going to take it like a step further this Sunday in the book of Ezekiel, but all of these are kind of put together where you'll hear me say something, you're like, I, I can't find that in, in Revelation. Because Revelation is the last book of the Bible that's like the prophetic end times future book, right? Because sometimes Daniel said it, sometimes Ezekiel the prophet said it, and sometimes the apostle John who wrote, wrote Revelation said it. Revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypse. Now, y'all have heard of apocalypse before, right? movie scenes that are trying to display the apocalypse, the end times horrific, uh, zombie-filled, whatever it is, moments of our days ahead. But really, all that the word apocalypse means, revelation, translated from that means is unveiled. That's all it means. It means that there is a truth, there is a story that God had set up for the apostle John to share that is revealed to us. It's unveiled to us, so not that we will be struck by it out of nowhere, but listen, my message tonight is that you will know what the Bible says and live getting ready for these future days. The book of Revelation, if you break it down, it's literally all about the future. I'll give you the high points. A time, a day when someone referred to as the Antichrist will come, and scripture it's referred to as the beast, will come and rise up, lead, and control the whole world. And he will deceive in such a way, uh, the Bible indicates that there will be false peace that he deceives with, meaning he gets people to sign peace treaties and pacts, and then he breaks it later. The whole world will come, bow before him, 
He will claim that he is God and the world will believe him and they will follow him. To the point, I want you to imagine every nation on planet earth, every president, every king, every leader coming to him for all the answers and they will follow him. At that point, he will establish what's called a one world order, government, religion, and financial system. Right now, we have the yen, we have the dollar, we have the pound, we have the euro, it goes on, right? The peso, right? One day, none of that will exist. The American dollar is barely worth anything anymore because we, we live on plastic and numbers. It's all digital, right? One day, eventually, the American dollar will be worth nothing. The plastic will be worth nothing. Uh, the currency of USD will be worth nothing. Why? Because there will be one collection of money, one religion. Think about this. A day when there is no longer Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or any of this, but there's one religion all centered around this man, the Antichrist, coming. And then, obviously, one government. You think about the days when he will come. Today, when we experience the, the power of hell, the power of the devil, we experience it in temptation. It tempts us. It gets us off track. And we, many times, we get to witness the magnitude of God's power. We get to see people healed. We've seen it. We've seen in this ministry, we've seen broken feet healed. We, we've seen headaches and migraines delivered. We've seen crazy stuff happen here, right? But in that time and that day, it will be supernatural demonic powers like the world has never seen before. It will invade the earth and it will show itself. And in man, it will be powerful as it takes place. It will demonstrate the power of darkness in such a way that people will be turned to it because they think that that's ultimate power. Because many, especially the Jews, they were waiting for the Messiah to come, Jesus. Well, he's, he already came. He came, he went back home. The Bible says he's preparing a place for us so we can be there one day soon. But many people will think finally he's arrived. This is what it's supposed to look like. And then finally, there's a seven-year tribulation that all of this is happening. It's broken into three and a half, three and a half years, two chunks. At that halfway point, the Antichrist will begin to administer what they call the mark of the beast in Scripture. Three numbers, six, six, six. Now, to clarify, it isn't going to be like just some random chip. It's not going to be some random thing where you wonder, did I take the mark? It will be very clear. It's the number of man, six, six, six. The number of God is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's called biblical numerology in the Bible. The number of earth in the book of Revelation refers to the four corners of the earth. Do math with me. Three plus four is seven. It's God's perfect number because it's himself and the earth, his, who he loves combined into one, seven. So what is six? Just fallen short of perfection. Here's God's perfection, seven, that he includes us in, six, the mark of the beast, but number of man, let me... What's the mark of the beast, though? Six is the number of man, but then Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Six, six, six is the mark. Everything that the devil does is you follow Scripture. It is a, it's a trying to replicate. It's an imitation of. It's a false understanding of what God already did in the first place. You think about from the very beginning when, when he showed up as a snake in the garden to moments here where the Antichrist roamed the earth. It is always an imitation of what God is doing. Six, six, six. Everyone that takes it, your fate is sealed. You are doomed to destruction. There is no turning back. There is not like, oh, I'm sorry, God. That doesn't exist anymore. It is the only thing, finally, it's a sealed fate for your life. There is no turning back. Those that don't take it, you have to understand you will not be able to buy, 
to sell. You can't travel. You won't be able to live. You can't feed your children at that point. You can't go work some job because everywhere you go, either on your right hand or your forehead is where the number will be given. You have to, it'll be some sort of scan, some sort of recognition. I don't know what it'll be for sure, but you have to have it. So if you don't take it, you will either most likely starve to death or barely scrummage food together or make it. Or if you choose at that moment to deny it, if caught, the Bible is clear. It says you will be beheaded. Y'all with me? This is what we're talking about tonight. What I believe, when we talk about the tribulation, it's called the great tribulation. What I believe is that what precedes all of this is what Christians refer to as the rapture. I'm going to explain what that word means, but let me read for you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to sound like. For the Lord himself, this is Jesus, will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's like my great-grandpa. That's like if, if Jesus doesn't come back for my papa, my papa's 91 years old, he's near, he's near, he's near heaven. They rise first. The Bible says, then after that, we who are still alive and are left, if we're still here when it happens, will be caught up together with them, the rest of all of them, and Jesus in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This message is going to sound dark, but can I unveil it for you? This is encouragement for you. This is helping you discover what the Bible says about what we're walking through right now. It's not coincidence. It's not random. It's not just like a, it's not a roll of the dice. This is what the Bible predicted would happen. So here when we talk about the rapture, the word rapture, um, it's, it's connected to a couple different things. One, it's Latin, meaning snatch. God will snatch believers away from sin, chaos, destruction of the wor world. But then my, my uncle had brought this out. This is a, a cool way for you to remember it, right? Anybody like Jurassic Park in, in the room? Okay. Like a couple of you, like, I think I do. Is that a lot in church? Yes, dinosaurs. They're in the Bible, by the way. Um, so besides the T-Rex, this is what he said. It's the raptor that's like the most vicious one, right? They're super fast. They bring those claws out. What do they do? They grab a body and snatch it. The Latin root for rapture and raptor, raptor, however you say it, are the same thing. Why? Because God is going to snatch us here from earth in the midst of everything happening, and we are going to go up and be with the Lord in the air. In the same way a raptor would come, and if you've seen any Jurassic Park scenes, snatch somebody, that's what's happening with the rapture when you hear about it. So this is a word, rapture, you will not find the Bible one time. It's a word used to describe from the Greek a snatching, a taking, a moment, the Bible says, is going to happen when Jesus comes back for his church. I know that we have preached about these concepts before. We've maybe in private conversations with some, maybe some, for some of you, you're hearing this for the first time. But maybe in private conversations, we've talked about some of this. Why am I talking about this? Because the Lord made it so clear. There's not only people playing games, and you just think coming to church is going to be enough, and that is not what gets you into heaven, number one. We come here because we are excited to worship Jesus together. We come here because we love God's word. We come here because we love each other. This is an overflow of what's already in our hearts, though. Not only for that reason, but I think there's a lot of people that they don't understand the future. They don't understand truly what is happening in our world, world and, and what is to come. 
So I want to make this abundantly clear. Spirit told me, put a fire in me, make this clear. Jesus is coming back V soon, let me tell you. It's like, it's quick. And I don't know. At any, at any moment, I don't know when he's going to do it. I don't. I honestly don't. But see, in that moment, I can tell you I'm ready. Are you? Jesus is coming back very soon. And he's not just come back for anybody. I want to make this clear. He's not even come back for just any church. The apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians and Ephesians, he said he's coming back for a pure bride. A pure virgin is even how he says it in 2 Corinthians. Ephesians, he breaks it down. He's come back for a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Who has Jesus come back for? People that sit in a chair on a Wednesday night or a Sunday that live for themselves throughout the week and then come here to church? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. He's coming back for people that say I'm sold out for him. I'm sold out. I want to live a life of holiness. Jesus, help me to do so. I want to live righteous, which just means live right. I want to follow the Bible to the best of my ability, and that's why I need the Holy Spirit to help me do it. He's not coming back for everybody. He's coming back for the elect, a select few. It will be a few, unfortunately. I wish it was the whole world, but it won't be. The Father has set this whole thing up that if you deny Jesus before one another, then he's going to deny us in heaven. He set it up that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to heaven, gets to the Father except through Jesus. If you deny Jesus, he ain't coming back for you. It's literally that simple. So let me help you. Whether you're in the ground or you're walking on earth, he's coming back for you. It's not like, well, what's, this is how it works. You live for Jesus, you die, you're in the ground. Well, actually, you get to go up first. You get first class, okay? And then all of us economy that are still like right here on earth, that we then join them. But Jesus is only coming back for his church. Here's what's sad about it. Here's what's sad about you look out in the world at the church. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 22. I'm going to be in Matthew 24 a lot if you've got, you got a Bible. He said, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, that's like the ones that were sold out, those days will be shortened. What does he mean? Sin in the world is going to get so bad. You're going to be so tempted, so distracted, have such an ability to go off course that literally the days are going to have to be cut short. Meaning it's like, it'd be like, to illustrate, it'd be like, we got a game plan. The father's like, on this day, I'm a full send. Jesus, you're about to go. And he's going to look at the world and realize that was never going to work. God always has a backup plan, which is his first plan. It's hard to explain. God just does things different than us. He always knew Adam and Eve was going to sin, and he, had to, he was going to have to sin his one and only son, but it was considered like a backup plan to us. But his first, it's hard to explain. Here's the date in his heart and his mind. This is what he's prepared for. He's going to cut the date short because he's going to look at humanity. He's going to watch every believer that was once sold out some of you that were once here on a Wednesday and you were lifting your hands and you were worshiping Jesus and you let life just become life and you let yourself stray from God. I can't tell you, I've seen it so many times. I ain't doing this brand new anymore. I've had 11 years of watching people in these seats, lifting their hands, bowing themselves at the altar, taking notes, and then they walk away from God. It happens. It happens all the time. See, he ain't coming back for those people. He's coming back for people that are sold out. And he has a process here. He even says, I will even have to cut the day short because sin on the earth is going to get so bad, I got to go back quick for the sold-out Christians that are still left. What will be taking place when the rapture happens? What's going to be going on in the world when all this is taking place? Jesus said in verse 40, to illustrate it, he says that two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. 
Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. What's the point? He's saying that, think about this, it could be like a, a Christian pilot and he's flying a plane. And literally, the rapture happens, he's taken. You start seeing planes from the sky crashing. Some of us driving, I'm at the wheel, right? I'm taken, I'm snatched, I'm gone. My car's about to head on, hit somebody else. Car wreckage, like you can't even imagine. It's a teacher standing before her, her classroom, his classroom, and they're teaching away, doing it, gone. And all those students staring like, what just happened right now? Churches. Oh, man. To be, on a, to be a fly on the wall during the rapture at a church, I can predict it two different ways. One, rapture happens. Pastor's gone. Half the church is gone, and the other half is still there. Because there's a lot of people coming, but a lot of people still playing games when they came. Weren't getting real with God. Weren't getting right with God. Weren't turning from their sin. We're masking it on Wednesday or Sunday, but living however they want throughout the week. Or let's flip it. The whole church gone. The pastor's still there. Too many pastors in this generation, they sound good, they preach good, but they don't practice what they preach. So if I'm going to stand up here and tell you that I'm, I'm right with God, I don't do everything right for God, but I'm right with God. Because I come with repentance to the Lord. I come and say, Lord, I can't do this without you. I need your spirit. I'm up here. I'm, I'm in the back. I was crying before I walked out. I said, God, I can't go preach this word if you don't help me. Being right is not that hard. It's being submissive, obedient, surrendered, repentant with God. And it's also being consistent. It's about being consistent, being here with the family of God because it matters. It changes us. We shape each other. God's word shapes us. God's presence shapes us. It's not that hard. So some of you think you can go on a stamp for three months and not be here and then come back. Listen, yes, we will take you back. But what did it cost you in the meantime? If Jesus were to come back in the meantime, were you ready? It's going it's to be imagery like the world cannot even begin to fathom. That's going to begin to happen during the rapture. This is all going to happen what the Apostle Paul describes, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, in a flash in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen so fast, y'all. Uh, twinkling of an eye, that actually translates one one thousandth of a second. It, it's not like how fast you can twinkle your eyes. It's in one one thousandth thousands of, a th of a second. That's hard to say. One one thousandth. <laughs> a flash. Another translation says a moment. It's going to happen so quick. And, and here's the thing. When it happens, we will go and join Jesus. And we'll all know what's going on watching the world, watching Jesus taking on. The world will not have a clue. The rapture will not be see, seen by the whole world. The second coming, which happens after seven years of tribulation, the whole world's going to see it, but the rapture, only those that have committed their lives to Jesus are going to see it. The world is going to be in utter chaos, left with the wreckage of cars. Uh, a, a mom on the phone with her daughter, please come back home, honey. Like, please, you're, you're hurting your dad and I. Why are you living like this? And then the, the call's just going to go silent on the mom's and, and the daughter. Mom? It's going to be wreckage in family, wreckage with buildings. Can you imagine planes crashing, hitting everywhere? It's going to be a world left in utter wreckage. People have tried to predict the rapture for years upon years upon years. No one's ever got it right. No one. Why? Because Jesus said this. He said in verse 36, he said, but about that day and hour, what we're talking about, no one knows. 
No one. You can't predict it. Not the angels in heaven, he's saying, nor the son, even me. I don't know, but only the father. So if you hear somebody, if you see a news clip saying, in 2020, Jesus is going to come back. Well, we all wish. (laughs) But in this time, Jesus is going to come back. That is either a false prophet, somebody trying to misdirect your faith, or it's an idiot. Either way, same thing. The Bible is very clear. It says that no one knows the day or an hour. So where does that leave us? If no one can know, then how can we know that the end is near? How can we know that Jesus, his coming, is even nearer? Look at next verse, verse 37. Jesus talking again. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Are we entering the days of Noah? Is it close? Is it upon us? Look around. Just look around for a second. Look at, look at how technology, look at how it is consuming us. Because that's something that you can tell that we're heading in that direction. I'm not talking about being technologically advanced. We are. We're technologically savvy. We are. Especially if you're younger. You know how to work computers, phones. So we are technologically consumed. I would have never thought there would be a day. It's crazy to me because when I was in high school, it's just all that I did is I'd go to school the whole day. When I found out, found out other schools or years after me, they got to go for like a half day and then go do this program here. That I'm like, what? I do, I did go to school all day. I would have never thought there would be a day where students are not learning from teachers in a classroom but from a computer in their bedroom still in their pajamas. No, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not trying to hate it. I'm just trying to make a point. We live technology consumes us. It's all around us. Like, what's the issue with that? Why is being technologically consumed a problem? It's a problem because we are one of the most depressed, disconnected, and mentally disturbed generation ever. So what happens when people are mentally disturbed? A lot of bad stuff. A lot of bad stuff is the result of people being mentally disturbed. We have done this because we consume ourselves with technology. You can also see how the world lives for greed and power. Do you realize that there's 2,755 billionaires, billionaires on planet Earth? Nearing 3,000 billionaires. Let's just round it. 2,800 billionaires. That's not six zeros. That's nine zeros. Elon Musk, number one. Jeff Bezos, number two. That's in America. America has the most of any other country. But that is not the issue. The issue is that we are a world so driven by greed. And while we have nearly 2,800 billionaires, 10% of the world is starving and going hungry every day. Literally 10%. We are a selfish society. We live to build ourselves. We live to build our bank account. We live to build our own power and position or whatever it is, right? Why literally, 
10% of the world is starving to death. The United Nations, they said that 274 million people could be in need of humanitarian um, assistance next year. With the world currently battling, they said, the worst hunger crisis this century. This is what's happening in a world where we put all of our needs first. It's all about us and then everybody else. It's about money and power, not feeding people. Another sign of the times is, you can see it, the murder and inhumane acts that are prevalent. Murder was extremely prevalent in the days of Noah. When we read it, it's like, okay, they were partying, they were getting married. No, no, no. They were living for themselves to the nth degree. If they wanted something, they took it. If they felt something, they would do it. Murder was prevalent in that day. And look at, you look at in 2018, the U.S. experienced 15,498 murders. Let's crank it. 2019, 16,425 murders. Crank a little more. 2020, there were 21,570 murders. 2021, Fox News just came out. They declared that the U.S. murder rate was the highest it's been in 25 years in 2021. Big cities shattered records, they said. Why is this happening? Matthew 24, verse 12 says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Can you imagine a world without love? There is no forgiveness. There is no second chances. There is no grace. A world that cuts you off at the ankles, a world that cuts you off at the head because there is no love. The problem is we can see this in our churches. I say capital C church. I'm not trying to refer to ours, but you see the church across the world you see the hearts of people growing cold. How? Offense has plagued the hearts of God's church. Now we just have like a little hurt you can resolve. You've allowed a stupid hurt to go so deep in you, it's causing offense. It's pushed you so far away from somebody. You become so against them. If you want to know more about this, go on our YouTube channel, uh, the We Are One YouTube channel. Watch my message, A Defensive Offense. It will really help you understand some of the things I'm just going to breeze by here that's happening in the world. But Jesus displays this. Look at verse 10. He says, at that time, many, they're so offended. He's saying many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Hatred like we've never seen. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because do you know when the devil loves to pounce? Is when someone has an offense and they're most vulnerable, he comes and he snatches. Devil snatches too. This is prophetic scripture. Jesus said this over 2,000 years ago that a time would come when people would be leaving the church. People would be falling away from God. We are watching this happen before our very eyes. I have friends in churches all over the U.S. And we are watching this happen. And youth, young adult, adult, men's, women's, kids, whatever it is, families walking out of the church over stupid things. So stupid. You know what it is, though? They allowed an offense to get a hold of their spirit. And once an offense roots, people are turning away from the church and they are completely walking away from God. They're walking out the door and they're never coming back to serve Jesus ever again. 
Now, I know that the world doesn't see this next thing as an issue, but this is a very clear indication. If you look at Scripture, sexual morality is out of control. That's a very clear indication and a sign that Jesus is coming back. Our culture is consumed with doing what makes you feel good. I'm talking about this on every level. Sexually makes you feel good, then do it. That's what psychologists and stuff teach you. Just do, you got to do sexually what makes you feel good. Our world is consumed in every way from greed to sexuality about doing what makes you feel good. Jesus spoke to this in Luke, in Luke 17, verse 28, 29. It was the same in the days of Lot. What he's referring to is the days of Lot and Noah were very similar. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, meaning to the world it looked normal, that's what he's saying. They were just eating and they were hanging out and they were planting and they were working. But the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. See, as we would talk about the rapture, God snatching us from planet earth. The minute that, that Lot was out of Sodom, snatched from Sodom, God destroyed it. Why? They weren't just planting and building. That's what it appeared. But the immorality to an all-time high, like you cannot even begin to fathom what's happening in Sodom. The sexual morality, let me just focus there. Tons of different immorality, but let's just focus on sexual morality because there was murder, all that stuff. Sexual morality, it was, it was to a level you can't even begin to imagine. It was not just like men raping a, a young woman or things like that that you see in the news or whatever. It was happening, but men were raping other men. Men were having constant sex with other, sin, uh, with other men. There's a, there's a reason that it was called Sodom. The city is literally called Sodom. It's the act of homosexuality that the Bible talks about. Literally, they were doing that. Why did God rain down? Just the same way that he flooded the earth. The sin was so severe, there was no turning back. There was no exit. He looked for it. Abraham even said, God, if there would just be, and he takes this number from here all the way down to here. And they couldn't even find that many people that were righteous, so God destroyed it. This is what we talk about when we're speaking of the rapture going to happen. The sexual morality that's happening right now in our culture, it is getting so extreme. It is getting so out of whack. It is so off the charts. Listen, listen, young person. Don't do what feels good. Do what God wants you to do. There's a lot of things that would feel good to me that if I did them, it would destroy my marriage. It would destroy my children. It would destroy this ministry. It is not worth Instant gratification and fast food sexuality. Just getting what you want when you want it. That's called lust. The Bible says that love is patient and it's kind. And it gives this whole description. Lust is getting what you want when you want it. Save yourself. Wait till marriage. It's worth it. If you've screwed up, then repent and let God make you new. Save yourself again. See, fornication, is, it's, the, it's the same act of a, as having an affair, right? Somebody gets in a mar marriage and they go with somebody else to have an affair. Fornication is when you do the same thing before you're in marriage. Fornication ain't worth it, guys. Speak from somebody who's been there, done that. I know exactly what it's like. Not worth it. it destroyed years of my mind and of my heart. It destroyed me. I barely got out snatched alive in, the, in my in my hypothetical or uh, experimental rapture on planet earth. Like it was just like, I barely got snatched out of it. 
I can't tell you how many times I, I nearly ruined my ministry. I nearly ruined my calling. I nearly ruined like what God was going to have in front of me. See, God had all this already prepared this ministry. And see, when I was your age, I couldn't see that. When, when, when I was your age, I didn't have enough vision for the future. And I could have ruined it at the age of 16. And here I'm at 34. I have it all. He's given it to me, but I could have destroyed it at 16. What you don't realize is the decisions you make right now, they will destroy what you can have at 34. I know it's hard to understand. I know it's hard to see, but I'm telling you, waiting on God's best is worth it. Getting your sexuality in check is worth it. Being accountable is worth it. Getting things, if it's like covenant eyes or whatever it is, to help your laptops or your phones or whatever it is, it's worth it. Doing whatever you have to do to be saved from a spiritual Sodom, it's worth it. How else will we know that the rapture is near? Pastor shared a little bit about this on Sunday. Earthquakes and weather patterns they are catastrophic right now in this generation. You can go watch his message. It's called Read the Signs on the Gateway YouTube. This is not global warming that we're talking about right now. Presidents and governments and all this stuff, they're trying to chalk it up and news anchors to global warming. No, 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 no. This is earthquakes and weather patterns like we've never seen before. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 20, uh, sorry, Luke 21, verse 11. He said, there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Do you realize that in 2021, there was 2,047 recorded earthquakes, a magnitude of between 5 and 5.9. Those are, those are pretty big earthquakes. Three last year. Three were a magnitude of over 8.0. That's like wreck, that's wreck the world kind of stuff. Right now, geologists, they're speaking of California, and they're talking about how there is an earthquake, they believe, that's going to be over 8.0. It's going to be seismic activity like crazy that's going to hit California. If that hits California, that will devastate our nation. The produce, the, the exports, the things that come from there, the jobs, I mean, people fleeing, the, the destruction of, of buildings or bridges or whatever, it will, it will rock. We will feel it here in the mitten, let me tell you. We're going to feel it if that happens. This is a sign of the time that Jesus talked about. I'll end with this one. Wars and rumors of wars are not something that might happen. They are happening daily. Daily, you turn on the news, there, are, there is war and rumor of wars. Jesus spoke to this in Matthew 24, verse 6. He said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things, check it, must happen. This has to happen. This is a sign that Jesus is coming back. It has to happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of birth pains. It's a labor that the world is going to go through, a labor that, that the, the storms and weather itself are going to go through. It's going to be yearning. It's going to be an agony. Earthquakes, floods, tornadoes, tsunamis, they're going to be in response. A groaning is going to come from them because they can feel that Jesus is near. And the earth will literally move itself because they feel that Jesus is coming. It's crazy. It's crazy and it's true. We can see it right here in front of our very eyes. If you have watched the news at all, if you have seen it or heard about it at all, everything going on with Ukraine and Russia, it's right here. Wars and rumors of wars? I think so. I'm pretty sure 
that what we are watching happen is literally what Jesus talked about. Two million people, they have fled Ukraine in the first 13 days of this war already. The U.S. and other countries, they've now begun the ban on, on Russian oil, which I, I, I wish that we had just prepared and had our own oil right here in Alaska and things like we could have in America. But they're starting the step now. I believe the United Kingdom just came out and said that we're going to ban Russian oil. It's been this process. I've seen, seen videos of like bar um, owners dumping Russian vodka and stuff. The pinch, the pinch on Russia is happening. What you have to understand is when that happens, because the oil is Russia's lifeblood. It's how they live. So they're way off the chart over here trying to take over another nation that shouldn't be, right? So now the world's going to start pinching them. I don't know what your personality is like, but I don't like to be backed against a wall. You back me in against a wall, the claws come out. That's what we're about to see happen in the world around us. Slowly as all this stuff is unfolding, the future, it's right here. Like we're walking in it, guys. We're walking the days. Why is this monumental for your future? Like why does it matter? Why does, because we've seen this stuff before. We've heard of news clips. On this. Why does it matter watching this? Why is it different? I want to help you with that. I want to first talk practically, and then I'm going to build upon a little bit to show you what could be coming and what the Bible says. Experts, this is what they say. They said that Russia's invasion of Ukraine threatens to significantly disrupt the global supply of wheat, sending prices for the vital crop skyrocketing. What you got to know is that Russia is the number one supplier of wheat in the world. China is number two. Ukraine is number four. So in them coming and taking over, because there's a lot of conversation about China and Russia and cahoots and, and supplying and all this stuff, and I won't get into that stuff, but there's conversations, let's say, at the very least. You have Russia number one, potentially China number two, and you have Ukraine number four, owning the wheat of the world. Literally the greatest export for our wheat for the world and other commodities as well, they literally are owning it. And here's the problem with it. The problem that some experts were talking about is that it will drive up our food prices. Our food prices, gas, all this stuff are already at record levels. It's going to drive up our food prices to another level. This came from Yahoo Financial. Look at the phraseology they use here. It is a biblical event. Let me just stop for a second. A secular financial company. Use this phraseology to say it is a biblical event event. I was just talking to a pastor before this message, and he was telling me another, another uh, article that he had read where they were saying the same thing. When you start throwing around the word biblical, you know what that means? Scary, real, end of the world kind of stuff. It is a biblical event when you run low on wheat stocks. You won't see a global food shortage, they said. Unfortunately, what you're going to see globally is that billions of people, billions, not millions, billions, that's us, Billions of people might not be able to afford to even buy the food. It's not that we can't. It's that it's right there and it's so. It's not that we can't. It's that it's right there and it's so expensive because now everyone else is exporting it. Because the number one, two, and four are taken over. Ukraine at this point, if Russia takes them, Russia owns it. It's saying that it's there. It's in our reach but we can't afford it. You tell me what's going to start happening in grocery stores when people go in there and they can't afford it anymore, but they need to feed their family. You tell me what the world is going to start looking like if this happens. 
you try to tell me that people are going to, oh, it's a bummer. I can't afford it. Or people going to be snatching it off the shelves. Is there, is there going to be riots that happen? Is there going to be chaos that could happen? All over this dictator that wants to come in and just own the world just like Hitler. But is it just that? Or is there more to it? Let's break it down even more because not only is Russia controlled the global wheat supply right now as the number one, but Russia is also number one owner of nuclear weapons on planet Earth. Russia has enough nuclear weapons, understand this with the count, to bomb every major city and every military operation in America, and they still have bombs left over. Why does this matter? Why, 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 would, we, why would I say America? We are the world's police, y'all. We're the number one military force in the world. We have, we're number two in nukes, but we're the number one military force in the world. No, nobody in the world is like our military. This is not me trying to be all patriotic. This is the truth. The world looks to us. When world wars happen, the world looks to America to come in and try to finish the war. And we're on the verge of what could be World War III. The Bible talks about the battle of Armageddon. It ain't going to be one war that just happens. It's going to be wars that build upon each other until it finally happens. Why, do I, why would I say that they have enough to nuke us and have some left over? Because we will be, listen to me, we will be the first target. We'll be the first ones they go to. What do you do? You walk into the prison, you punch the biggest guy there in the nose, and you're in everyone's respect. We will be the first they go after. Why? You wipe us out, you own the planet. Because we are the ones that rush to people's needs. We are the ones throughout history that have proven we are the world's police. And here they have all the firepower necessary to do so. So how could this be seen as a sign of the time? Now I want to make it very scriptural for you. Everything I'm saying, is it just like a, is it like a far-fetched idea or is it biblical? So many scholars, Bible scholars, they believe that Russia is going to be a major player in the end times, in the Battle of Armageddon. I, guys, I read and I read and I read and I researched until my head was spinning and so full. I didn't even know what I was supposed to preach tonight because I had so much information. And they're all pointing to this same thing, that when you read the prophets in the Old Testament, Daniel, and then you take in uh, Ezekiel, and you put them together, it describes that Israel is going to have an end times attacker, an aggressor that's going to go after them. What's going to happen is it's going to be all these military powers that are going to converge and they're going to do it together. So in the same way if we'd have the conversation with Russia and China kind of like working together, that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. They're going to converge on Israel. When the Bible talks about it though, in Daniel and Ezekiel, it says that they're going to descend this military force from the north. What does that mean? Daniel uses the phrase, king of the north. And then Ezekiel says that they're going to come from the far north. If you look at the, the geography, and if you read the scriptures, and if you study it like I did, they've all come to the same conclusion that there's only one place that describes this description, that, that follows this description. Russia. Russia is the only modern nation that aligns with what the Bible's saying here in Daniel and Ezekiel. So is it just another war? You tell me. Is it just about wheat or just about land or just a, or is it about a story that is mounting up for the end? 
a battle called Armageddon that's going to happen where there you can see Russia. You read scripture and you study it, you'll see China. You can see the, the Arab nations and Egypt. If this is not waking you up and helping you in any way, then I'm sorry because this is the best that I can give you tonight. This is all I got. I ain't looking for you to cheer tonight. I'm looking for you to sit on what I'm saying as you are right now, but I hope it's sinking in because if it's not, I honestly got nothing left. This is literally the Bible. The future's here. We're walking in it, guys. If you thought that there was a time before where you had a little bit of time to get your heart right with God, I'm telling you, this is the time to be right with God. These are the signs that Jesus is coming back and we need to prepare. Like, there's probably some practical things we need to do. We need to can goods and, and ammunition and especially in Michigan, stuff like But it's more than that. You gotta prepare right here. You gotta get prepared. What do you do with all this? I mean, I just dropped... Talk about nukes. I just dropped biblical nukes on your mind. What do you do with all this right now? That's the question. I want to give you four steps of what you should do with this. Four things. If you do this until the day you die or Jesus comes back, either way, it's all going to be soon. Four things. Number one, you need to commit your life fully to Jesus. Like, not playing any games anymore, like fully. If you're here and you've never committed your life to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a second. But this is not a time to just, it's called play church. That's how I heard it growing up. Play church. You just come here and you live your life for yourself and then you're just here. No, no, no. You can do that. We're not going to make you do anything different than that. We're just going to love you when you're here. But you may miss out on the coming of Jesus. And I just want to make that clear. If you want to roll that dice and gamble it, you're good. That's, that's between you and God. But I want to make it clear. You need to get your life fully right with God. Not come to church. You need to be the church of Jesus Christ. You need to say, this is who I am, not where I go. We gather in a space to worship, but this is a building. We are the church. Do you know when this place becomes the church, when we say, I'm going to church, it's at the point that we all get here. Because before we got here, it's just a building. It's a building with some lights and speakers and a bunch of stuff that, who cares? We can literally worship Jesus without all that. We're just fortunate enough to have it. You gotta get real with saying, I'm gonna be the church of Jesus Christ. I wanna speak to my online fam. I'm gonna go tight cam right here. Online fam, whether you're gonna listen to this message later or you're watching it right now, the Holy Spirit put this on my heart for you. Please and thank you. Two things to tell you, please and thank you. Thank you for coming here every week and worshiping Jesus. There's people all over the place. Maybe you're, you're too sick or this or that. Thank you for being here, hearing the message every week, for responding, for being in the chat. Thank you for coming and being a part of the body of God. But please, please listen to me. There will come a time when we can't stream to you anymore. There will come a time when even though we want to, we can't meet you wherever you are. So I'm telling you, listen up to me. If you are not a part of the local church of Jesus Christ, this will not be enough to sustain you. I'm telling you, if you're sick in body, if you can't for some reason get here, then I understand. That's why we're coming to you. But I'm warning you, there is a day coming when you, we, we won't be able to do this for you anymore. We're, we're, get, we're getting flagged. Our, our videos get flagged if we say the wrong things. One day, the name of Jesus will flag us and we won't be able to get it to you anymore. So if you're in another country watching, if wherever you are, you're in another city, you need to find a Bible-believing church and you need to get rooted into it. If you're right now, if you're in our vicinity, if you're close at all, I'm, I'm telling you right now, the local church will be the only thing that's gonna keep you in these days ahead. 
I love you. Thank you for being here, but please listen to me. If maybe you're, you're listening to this message later and uh, you kind of make your bread and butter, you cut your teeth on, you listen to one of these messages afterwards, that's not enough. You need to be in a local church. You need to be worshiping with the people of God. You need to have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, either download the app or come here and we got a Bible waiting for you afterwards. That's for all you as well. There's a day coming when how we've done things, we won't be able to do this way anymore. Let me speak right now to, uh, to number two. I just empower you and encourage you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you will not make it in the days ahead if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are not filled, bubbling over with the Holy Spirit, you're not gonna make it. Now listen, I know some people, I, I can see some faces in the crowd, thank you. It helps me understand who I'm preaching to. It's like, whoa. I, I don't, I'm not going to dumb down this message to try to try to make it easier for you. Jesus never made anybody, made it easy for anybody. He said, here's the way, the truth, the life. If you wanna go this way, then you're gonna make it to heaven. If you don't, you're not. So this is very simple. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, the fullness, the power, where you speak in a language that only heaven has, if you don't have the authority that comes to the Holy Spirit, why would you think that you can make it in the days ahead on your own strength? You're not even making it right now. And this is easy. This is as easy as it's going to get. And some of you, like, you could be tuning me out and you're gonna get further in life and then stuff's gonna start happening. This message, it might not even be available anymore on YouTube at that point. It might've got pulled down, I don't know. But this is gonna start, something is gonna come back in your brain and this is gonna come back to you. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You know the, what the hope is right now in this generation? You know what the hope is with all the darkness that we just listed the hope is this generation is seeing one of the greatest moves of the holy spirit on planet earth there is five million pentecostals that walk planet earth what is that spirit filled loving jesus with all they got laying hands on people believing that they can be healed walking in the fullness they express themselves in worship now like pentecostal can get a little weird in some churches I've heard stories of like people, I don't know, on chandeliers or weird stuff or handling snakes. We don't do that stuff. I think that's weird. But we're Pentecostal. That comes from Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit showed up and it altered history. I speak in other tongues. I believe in the power of hands being laid on me. You know why I believe? I believed before this happened, but it kind of helps. Because in 2021, when my cancer, the, the tumor had doubled in size, the only thing that happened is people were laying hands on me and the church prayed and I was being anointed and I went back for the next scan. They said, it's not there anymore. Why do I believe? Because right now they said that the cancer's back. And I got a scan coming up next Thursday before conference. So I'm gonna walk into conference knowing I just got a scan that's about to decide some of my future. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna have people lay hands on me I'm gonna believe, I'm gonna stand firm in the faith because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that someone can lay hands on me and I can be healed. So that's how I, that's how I live my life because I've seen that it's never, ever, ever done me wrong. Ever, 30 years of following Jesus, never done me wrong, the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, keep watch, pay attention. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 42, he said, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. 
But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch, would have not have let him, let him into his house to be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. You know, I'm giving all of these future signs and the things that are to come, but I want to make this clear. I'm not asking you to bury your face in the news. Instagram or TV or probably not the newspaper, but maybe. I'm not asking you to bury your face in that. I'm asking you to recognize the signs that are around you and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The disciples, when they walked the earth, they lived their life in a way that was always set on heaven, always looking up, always prepared that Jesus could come back at literally any time. There was an urgency in them. It's why they went into the whole world and told people about Jesus. There was an urgency that Jesus could come back at any time. And they never got to see all the things that we're seeing right now. They never got to see all these prophetic events lining up. They never got to see that. Yet they always kept their eyes fixed on what the Bible says, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus. Keep watch. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get your eyes on what other people have to say. Don't get your eyes on, 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 on media or anything with that. And I'm gonna say this. Don't keep your eyes on all the signs. Don't be looking for the Antichrist to show up. Be looking for Jesus Christ to show up. Be looking with your eyes fixed. And the Bible says he's going to crack through the clouds. And as lightning is visible in the east, even in the west, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Number four, here's the one that's on my heart. This is the one that gets me. Start winning souls. It's here, it's now, it has to happen. We need to start winning souls. Let me say it this way. Our ministry over many years of it kind of growing and refining and working on stuff, we've gotten really good at developing leadership in people, discipleship, teaching people how to follow Jesus, all the different avenues we have, and even worship. We've gotten really good at these ships. But I feel in this next season, God is calling us to be a soul-winning ministry, a ministry that doesn't just invite people, but a ministry that shows up with people. A ministry that doesn't just live for Jesus on a Wednesday, but a ministry that's so overflowing with living for Jesus that there's conversations erupting, there's prayer moments erupting. You're leading people to Jesus at your school, at your workplace. Finally, some of you've been praying for it in your own home when you can have a conversation with one of your parents or a sibling, whatever it is, and you can tell them that Jesus loves them, he forgives them, he's saved their soul. If they will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord, we are in a soul-winning moment. We have, to, we have to take this like this moment captive, I'm telling you. The, the Lord started this whole message with this thought, I'm ending with it right here, with this thought that we have to be a soul winning ministry again. Because we were at one point, we were a hardcore soul winning ministry. And the problem is we were winning all these souls and we didn't know what to do with it. So people would come and they would go. That's where discipleship comes in because we needed to plug people in, show them Jesus, walk with them, mentor them, develop their leadership, show them worship, whatever it was. And so in and out. And we are in a season again, I'm telling you. We have the infrastructure. We have the foundation. It's a soul winning time. Do not for a second think about yourself and think, man, there's no way I'm inviting people to church. Come on. 
Man, there's no way I could do that. There's no way that God could use me to, to talk to people about Jesus. I don't even got myself figured out with Jesus. Can I tell you that when you start winning people for Jesus, it'll help you get yourself figured out? I promise you, because there will be a passion in you, a fire in you. When you see somebody sitting next with you in church, and then they're like sitting there like arms crossed, like, I don't know if I like this or not, this is weird. They're not even paying attention on their phone, whatever. And then there's the next week, and the next week, and you feel like nothing, and then there's that one week, and worship, they lift their hands, and you're like, oh my gosh. I've been praying for this person. I've been believing for this person. Or the moment when even somebody says yes to coming to church. If you think coming to church is what God's called us to, you are wrong. Bringing people to church is what God's called us to. We're called to bring people into the body of Christ. We're called to bring people into being a part of the bride, that Jesus is going to come back for a bride. Part of that, when we bring people into it, we're going to bring people's mess. So that's where discipleship and all this stuff comes in. People are gonna come with mess and burden and baggage and pain and fears and a bunch of like stuff in their background. That's fine. We'll work on that together. Jesus will work on that with you. There is nothing, there is nothing like winning somebody for Jesus. And if there's a time, if there's an hour in history that we need to dig in again, it's right now. I've said this many times, I'll say it again. One night in conference, they are not promised to us after this year. They're not. So if you just thought, man, I'm so excited to come to one night, uh, wrong. You better be changing that tune. You are so excited to bring people with you because you're not promised that next year or even later this year when we, we say we're going to do one in September, you're not promised that you can bring somebody else with you. And here it is. We've got the roller skating, the cookie dough, all this stuff, it's great. It's called a fish hook. Jesus called us to be fishers of men is what he called us to be. It's a fish hook to just show somebody, you know what? The church isn't gonna catch on fire when you walk in. The people are actually a lot better than you've given them credit for. It's actually a really fun place to be. And then the message of Jesus is gonna go forth. They might've come for one night, but they're gonna stay for Jesus. We are not promised that we get it again. We're not promised that you, you could be like, man, I don't know if some of my friends want to pay for conference. We'll bring them to one night and they go to conference for 15 bucks, $15. That's literally nothing. If you knew the thousands beyond thousands that we have to put into conference to put it on, that's nothing. 15 bucks. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if, if they're really, really ready, if God could get a hold of their heart. Are you kidding me? Most likely, they're going to be the person that walks in, shows up, gives their heart to God, filled with the Holy Spirit. They're going to get called to the ministry, and they're become the next evangelist that wins thousands of people. Stop counting people out just because you're scared to invite them. There is nothing like seeing people come to know Jesus. There's nothing like it. I don't care if the message is dark like this or if it's one of those more uplifting ones. God will bring people to the moments that he wants them to experience. I've had it where there's been dark moments, places where I was like, man, why did this person come to church on this day? They're not, And they turned their life to Jesus in that sermon. Other moments where people, I'll be around, I remember growing up in high school and I'd be there in church, bringing somebody to church people be lifting their hands and I'll be honest with you I was like ashamed I was I was just like I'm so nervous that they're here right now all I was focused I wasn't myself people are lifting their hands I'm like oh God I pray that somebody doesn't do something weird in church today and they come to know Jesus Jesus destines he knows each person's time I was four years old it's just what he had set up
Z's been asking me this question over and over again. He's been asking me this question. And uh, that's my firstborn son, Zealand. And on Monday, he was asking me this question. And I, uh, I was rushing out the door. I didn't have time to wait for him. And I, he was asking it early in the morning and then I was getting ready and I went downstairs to say, bye, bye, bye. I kiss all my family and stuff before I leave. And I was like, I love you guys. And he goes, no, 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 dad, dad. I need you to pray with me. He said, I want Jesus in my heart. And I thought, this ain't real. Like he doesn't understand this. Cause we read the Bible. We walk through the cross. We walk through what Jesus did. And he's been talking about it for a while now. I want Jesus in my heart. And he says, Dad, Dad, will you pray with me to get Jesus in my heart? This was my Monday morning. What do you want to do right now? What are you asking for? I want to read the Bible first. And then what? I want the in my after this. You want Jesus to go in your heart? After this. After this, okay. Remember, Jesus is the Son of God. They took Jesus away. Look at They took him away. And what's this? Cross. Why did Jesus go on the cross? For our sins. Couldn't hear over his eyes, but yeah, over our sins. Good job. And then he was put in the tomb. Remember the angel came and rolled the tomb away? Rolled the stone away? Jesus, is he alive or dead? Uh, dead. Again. Again. Uh, again? He rose again? Is that what you're saying? Wow. He's alive. So what does that mean? Does that mean that because he's alive, he can go in your heart? Do you want Jesus in your heart? Okay, so we're going to pray a prayer. And when we pray it, we are believing that Jesus died for our sins that he rose again so he's alive and now he lives inside of us. Is that what you want? Okay. Say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. So say, Jesus, help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Where's Jesus now? Is he in your heart? <laughs> Come here. <laughs> That's so awesome, buddy. Jesus in your heart? Mm. Yeah. Proud of you. I want to do it. I want to do it in heaven. You want to go in heaven? You will now. I want to do it in heaven right now. We can't go there right now. We're going to tell people. We want to tell as many people about Jesus while we're here as we can so they can come with us. You wanted Jesus in your heart? You asked for that all on your so own? How did you wiping off my face? <laughs> <laughs> and then we have this one. Lord, save his soul. Amen. I don't care what the age is. There is nothing better than somebody giving their life to Jesus. Now, if you're wondering, did he understand, was it real? I'm gonna tell you, he, he went up to Monkey, his little stuffed animal, it was his first convert. He says, Monkey, you need Jesus in your heart. Who else did he do it with? He did it with Monkey, 
he was walking around. He's, what? He's telling everybody, he's walking around telling people, I prayed, I got Jesus in my heart. Do you want to know the sign of somebody that's given their life to Jesus? They got to tell everybody else about it because they know that what they have is what the world needs. And they know Jesus is coming back. You know how cool it is as a dad to think about my son who's three years old, to know he understands. And some of you here today, I want to give you an opportunity. This is your moment. This is it. Like the whole message has been building up to this moment right here for you to make a decision, to make an honest decision with God, to say that I have sinned and fallen short of his glory. I've been living for myself. I'm not ready for him to come back. And I want to make sure my heart and my heart is right with God. And Jesus is in my heart. He has my whole life. And, and we can't go to heaven right now. I know Z says, I want to go to heaven right now. But you know why I told him? We have to stay here on planet Earth because other people need to know Jesus. I'm here right now because some of you, some of you need to know Jesus. So stand on your feet with me. This is your moment for you to say, I want Jesus to come into my heart and soul. I want to be ready for the days of head. Come down. Listen, I just want to talk to them. Bring that keyboard down. I want to really settle. I want to talk. Listen. Some of you, you're like, I've already done it before. Come on. No, you haven't. You lifted your hand. You prayed a prayer. You didn't accept Jesus. You did some ritualistic religious thing. Get real with God for a second. Like, be honest. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I live different outside of here than I do in here. Get real with God for a second. Tell him that you know you're living your life for yourself. You know that you're not, not doing what God, what the Bible says for you to do. Can we just be honest for a second? You cannot be changed. You will not be saved if it's just like, a, you know, that's me, pray a prayer. That's not what we're about to do. If you watch the video, and you should go on the, on the message when it's up and watch his face, just, just zoom all the way to the video. If you watch his face, you could see it light up when he touched his heart and it lit up. Why? Because I couldn't get inside of his body, but I can tell you, he could sense something inside of him that was different. There's something that changes when you go all in for Jesus. There's something that changes when you commit yourself. You say, I'm done with this old life. I'm done with who I used to be. I'm going to live my life to honor the Lord. There's something. You can see him like, like lit up. Something changes. And I want to give you the opportunity for something to change tonight. To really go all in. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to even think about it. A split second. If you can't respond when I say three here in a second, if you can't do it then, that means that you ain't going to get real with God. Don't even hesitate. Confess your sin in this moment. By lifting your hand, you're saying, I know I have sinned. I've fallen short of God's glory. I know that's not who I've been called to be. One, two, three. Put your hand up right now if that's you. Okay, that's good. Put it down. It's not for me to be able to sit here and look at. I have sinned, y'all. I'm, I'm with you. I have sinned. If it wasn't for Jesus, I've sinned. So this is what I want you to do. I want to specify here in the room because we want to be able to pray for you specifically. If you've never given your heart to Jesus and this is your first time, I'm going to do a second one here in a second. It's a rededication to say you want to get real. But if you've never done it in your life, put your hand up. Okay? Over here. Thank you so much. Thank you. So if this is you and you're like, okay, this message resonates with me. I know I've sinned and fallen short and I had given my life to Jesus before, but I really want to get honest with my lifestyle, with, with how I'm away from God. 
and I really need his strength and help now. Now, if that's you, put your hand up. Okay, many more. You're saying, that's me. I, I want to go all in. Thank you. I got you. Thank you. Cool. Would you pray this with me? We call this the sinner's prayer. It was just was labeled that many, many years ago. All that it is, is as you repeat after me, it's a way that I help you come to Jesus. But ultimately, you don't even need me right now. You could do it at any point that you want ever. You just got to talk to him. You just got to acknowledge that you've sinned, acknowledge that he's God, and that through the cross and resurrection, he's Lord. So that's all we're going to do. That's what this is. But I want you to pray it loud. I want you to pray it strong. And this is going to be a moment. We're going to remember this. Here we are. March 9th, some of you need to remember this. Say, Jesus, come on, say it. Jesus, I confess tonight that I have sinned. I've fallen short of your glory. I acknowledge that you died on the cross for me and you were put in the tomb. Three days later, you rose from the tomb in victory and in power so that I could be a person of victory and power. I ask you, Jesus, not to just forgive me, but would you empower me through your Holy Spirit so that I can be a soul winner, so I can be used for great things on planet Earth. I know the days ahead are dark, but Jesus, you said that we are the light of the world. I pray that God, you would help me to shine bright. You would help me to show other people who you are. And I know I can't go to heaven just yet because I need to bring other people with me. So prepare me for your second coming. Prepare me to bring other people to heaven with me. I pray this in the awesome name of Jesus Christ. Everybody says amen.